Good morning. It's great to be here again. It feels like it's been a long time since I've been here. And um, for those who are regulars, you'd know that I've been working through a series on Colossians. Uh, Those who are not, I am working through a series on Colossians. You now know also. Uh, We've been working through, and I think it's been a couple of months. So once a month I come and preach this, and I think it's been a while since I've been here. But last time I stood up here, we looked at the end of Colossians chapter 1. And we looked at it, and specifically we looked at how Jesus will fill us up with anything that we lack. And in any trial, in any suffering, in anything um, specifically where we lack, he will meet with us and he will fill us up. But more specifically than that, not only will he fill us up, but he is not only with us, he is in us. And he journeys in whatever path you take. Jesus is in us. And wherever you go, he wants to fill you up because he is on the journey with you. And it's such an exciting concept to grasp that whatever you're going through, Jesus is not only with you, he's in you and he will fill you uh, with whatever you need. Today, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. So before we get there, let's pray. Father, I want to thank you. I want to thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die in our place. But not only that, not only did you know that we needed saving, not only did you know that we needed a saviour, but you also knew that in this world we needed more. And so you sent your spirit to dwell within us, to guide us and to be with us. I want to thank you, Father, for that. And I just pray today that as we look at your word, I pray that you will minister and speak to each one of us, that your spirit which is in us will affirm the words that you have for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to start by just reading Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, and then we'll go back and and look at a couple of things. Colossians 2, verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of man, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. There's so much that we could look at in those verses, but I want to make two points. And the first one that I want to look at is God is wisdom. That God is wisdom. In verse 2 and 3, and I'll reread it, it says, starting at verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love and attaining to all riches of the full assurance and understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. That's just verse 2 and I could do an entire series on what Paul has crammed in there. 
Um, but I want you full assurance of the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In him, all wisdom and knowledge is found in the Father and in Jesus, our Saviour. All wisdom. We can go out into the world and we can talk to people and we can ask for advice, but the reality is that God is wisdom. In the same way that all truth and all love is found in God, all wisdom, all knowledge is found in our Saviour, Jesus. Because it says further down, it says, For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, all wisdom and all knowledge dwells within our Saviour, dwells within Jesus. Proverbs, there's an entire book that talks about the wisdom of God. And Proverbs talks about how the wisdom is found in our Saviour, is found in Yahweh. Some words from Proverbs. Fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Receive my words so that you incline your ear to wisdom, that you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth and come knowledge and understanding. And when wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant in your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and gains understanding. You see, Solomon, who was known as the wisest man who ever walked the earth until Jesus himself set foot, wrote this book about wisdom. And what he said is, wisdom is found in God. If you want to know wisdom, go to God and he will speak. The words of wisdom come from him and he will impart them to you. But what Solomon also says, do not be enticed. Uh, Sorry, Proverbs also calls us not only to trust in the Lord and not reply our own wisdom, it also says, don't be enticed by sinners, do not consent with them. Man's wisdom is folly and also do not be wise in our own eyes. So very clearly, Proverbs calls us to seek the Lord. Proverbs calls us to develop a relationship with God who is wisdom and who gives wisdom, but not to be enticed by that which seems wise but he's not from God that's easy to say not to be enticed by things that are not from God but it's hard to do I want to share some things which we've probably all heard and all believe are true but actually aren't or maybe it's just me that has believed these things so the Great Wall of China cannot be seen from space I did not know that I've always been taught that the Great Wall of China was the only man-made thing that was seen from space can't be seen from space Humans don't just have five senses. Who's been taught that there's five senses? Humans don't just have five senses. Sight, smell, taste, touch and hearing. But scientists argue that it ranges between nine and more than 20 to include things like hunger, thirst, pressure, balance, acceleration, pain, time, temperature, among other things. I'd never heard that. People don't just use 10% of their brain. I'd always been told that you only use 10% of their brain. That's actually not true. You do use different parts of your brain at different times and the neurons fire at different times. But most humans use the majority of their brain. It's not just 10%. This one here is something that I grew up thinking all my life. Swimming within an hour of eating doesn't actually lead to cramps or drowning. Who would have known? 
the amount of time I've wasted sitting on the side of a pool or beach waiting for that hour to tick over. It doesn't take seven years to digest bubblegum. I didn't think you were allowed to swallow it because it took seven years to digest it. You actually can't digest it at all. It passes right through you. Bats are not blind. I'd always been told bats were blind. Waking, and this one here is for my kids because we went on a journey to Adelaide and we listened to an entire book, uh, audio book about this. Uh, waking a sleepwalker does not harm them. The book said that if you woke them, they'd die. So there was the whole book about what they tried to do to keep this sleepwalker from dying. Hair and, nail, uh, hair and fingernails do not continue to grow after you die. They don't. Albert Einstein did not fail math at school. Men don't think about sex every seven seconds. December 25th is not the date of Jesus' birthday. This one here, get this. Fortune cookies are not a Chinese tradition. They were actually invented in America. Who would have known? No. <laughs> Thank you. And this one here, I think, is just for me because my mum used to tell me this all the time uh, and probably says a lot about me more than anything else. But ice cream is not made out of dishwashing detergent. <laughs> mum used to say that to me to try to discourage me from eating ice cream. My response was always, that's all right, mum, it's cleaning my insides as well. <laughs> but there's lots of things out there, aren't they, that we think are true but actually aren't. And they're not, they actually don't impact us greatly, you know, a bit of fun. But there are many more that I could go on with. But there are other ones that are more deceptive and more deceiving that actually do impact upon our lives. And I want to talk about a couple of them. You know, there's this movement right now in the world where science says that there's more than two genders. That gender is actually, there's a spectrum and there's an infinite number of genders from male through to female and you can be any one of those genders. And it's a lie. God's word says, but the impacts is profound upon what is actually happening within society right now. And it's, we will see that impact continue to have another one. And they often sound plausible and good. Love is love. Have you heard that one lately? That's having an impact upon Australian society. Love is love. And we've all been going through this voting process to vote whether or not um, gays should be able to marry. And when you take it a little bit further, as we're seeing in other countries who've already gone down that path, this love is love notion continues to expand and have impacts into society in many different ways. I listened to a social commentator called Mark Dice, and he goes out, he lives in California, and he goes out and he's, he's used this love is love concept, and he took it out to the streets and he had a survey, or a, um, what do you do when you sign, a petition, and he went to Californians and he said, look, love is love. We know that gay people are allowed to marry, but you know, we actually think that we haven't gone far enough. And, and he, plays, he plays almost that he's serious, but he's actually mocking. He goes, we haven't gone far enough and there's a call now to allow people who are related to marry, brothers and sisters, mums and sons, fathers and daughters to marry. But love is love. So if you want to join in this movement to push this, can you please sign our petition that we're going to send to Washington? And time after time, people are signing that because love is love. And what difference does it make? 
And not only that, under the love is love mantra, there is now a movement in the countries that have gone down this path to actually say, well, if I love someone and they're under age, well, love is love and it should be decriminalized and pedophilia should be decriminalized. And there is a movement to push down that. This concept which sounds love is love sounds nice is having far-reaching implications into society. Other ones, Islam is a religion of peace. We don't need to look too far or discuss too much about that, do we? Um, A couple of other ones that I've got listed here. Here's one. Mass migration around the world, a humanitarian crisis. And you look at it and you go, yes, these people, it is humanitarian because these people live in war-torn countries. And yet you look behind that and you look further into it and you know that the powerful elite, non-government elite, have been for years trying to get people from the Middle East and through mass migration into European and Western civilizations to subvert their economies and to bring down the societies. And not only that, but you will actually can trace it back that they are paying not only for the boats, but paying for people in the Middle East and to get on the boats and taking them to the countries for their own political and their own powerful gain. And it's a tough one because humanity, you know, we have to look upon refugees who are serious refugees, genuine refugees with love and compassion. And yet... These people are taking advantage of the situation and setting the situation for their own purposes to deceive and distort and get their own good, their good for themselves. One that is my pet one, I'm a little, I love exploring things and looking into conspiracy theories and stuff like that. And one of the things that I first thought was a conspiracy theory, you know the Federal Reserve Bank, how every country has a Federal Reserve Bank? Did you know that it's actually not owned by a government? It's not a government agency. It's a private corporation. And that the the government pays them to print our money. And then they sell it to us for interest. And it's a private corporation. And that every country pretty much in the world has a Federal Reserve Bank. There was about three or four years ago, I think it was about seven countries in the world that did not have a Federal Reserve Bank. And by the way, the Federal Reserve Banks in each country are owned by the same people. And the countries that didn't have them were Syria and Libya and Iraq and North Korea. And I'm not saying that they're good countries. I'm not saying they're doing good stuff. But there is a concerted effort to destabilize them. And every time a country is invaded, such as Libya, which was overthrown, guess what pops up? A Federal Reserve Bank. In Iraq, guess what pops up? A Federal Reserve Bank. Now, I'm not saying that the regimes are good, but what I'm saying is that there's deceptive powers in this world to distort things. And when you understand that Satan is the God of this world, you can actually understand that that's going to happen, can't you? A couple more. 97% of scientists believe that man-made, believe in man-made climate change. We've all heard that before, haven't we? Now, I'm not here to say whether or not man-made Im- man impacts climate change. I don't know. But what I am saying is that there's new revelation saying scientists are coming out in droves saying that's actually not true. We've been told we're not allowed to say anything. And if we say anything, funding is taken from us. But it's not 97% of scientists. And they're actually coming out saying we have fundamental issues with the science that is leading to this. And then you have what led up to the Paris Climate Accord where all the countries in the world or the majority of them all signed it. 
and America's just pulled out of. And that was supposed to save the world and the climate and the entire thing from going down the hill. In fact, documentation from the UN has just been released and uncovered. Uh, it was released. They didn't want it to get out, which said that the point of the climate ch- Paris Accord was not to address man-made climate change. And in fact, if every country did everything that they were proposed to, it would have zero impact on the climate of the world. But in fact, it was about wealth redistribution to redistribute wealth from rich countries to poor countries. That is a UN document that was leaked, that it is not about addressing man-made climate change. I'm not saying that man-made climate change is a hoax. I'm not a scientist. I don't know. All I'm saying is that they're using it for their own political purposes and it's their own documentation that's exposing it. The last one that I'll look at, news. They tell the truth, right? Media is there to tell us the truth and relate what happens. There is now documentation coming out Uh, from intelligence agencies that shows that they are using the media to manipulate what is being told to the populations. That they pay and have their staff in the media to tell us what they want us to hear so that they can control the population. Paul says, do not be deceived. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard when everything being told to us is false and not true. How do you know what is true and what is not? I don't know. And then you look at it and moving on, and they're the big ticket stuff. But then there's also scaling it down and bringing it back. You know, when you've got a problem in your own life and you go to your friends and your family and you say, can you give us some of your wisdom? Can you tell us? And they tell us and they share, with, share stuff with you and they're not trying to be deliberately misleading. But from their sense of wisdom... From what they know, they're sharing with you. And it sounds good, but sometimes it's not what God wants us for us. And it reminds me of a passage of scripture in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 1. And it says this, it says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel but not of me, and who devise plans but not of my spirit. And he goes on to talk about how the nation of Israel came up with this plan because they were being subjugated, they were being under oppression. So they went to Egypt and they said, Egypt, you're strong. Why don't you protect us? You've got lots of chariots. Why don't you use them to defend us? And God says, look, great plan, good plan, but it's not my plan. You didn't ask me. I had a plan for you. I had something. I wanted you to ask for my counsel. But you didn't. You went and talked about amongst yourself. And then you went and said to Egypt, you protect us. And he said, because you did that, this great plan, but it's not my plan. Because you did that, Egypt, their power is going to be used against you. And their chariots are now going to oppress you. Because you didn't ask of me. And you didn't listen to my counsel. And we are often think, deceived into thinking that, that other people know best for us and we don't ask God. And if you're anything like me, you, you see a situation and you go, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to run off and, and I'm going to do it like this. And then as you go, you say, God, can you bless me in this? Does anyone do that? Or, or you sit there and you see the problem and you go, God, 
can, can you help me? And then you go and you ask other people and God speaks to you and other people speak to you and you put them all into the same basket as though they're all equal. All the advice is equal. And then you try and decide what it is, what's best. And God says, hey, I've got good plans for you. Come and listen to me. And Paul says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by what is out there. And in verse 4 and 8, he says here, now, don't be deceived with persuasive words. In verse 8, beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. You see, it's easy for us, isn't it, to be deceived into what is not best. But in Isaiah, God says, I've got plans for you. Seek my counsel. Solomon in Proverbs says, listen to God because his words are wisdom. And Paul gives us an answer. And he says in Second Colossians, he says this. He says, not only in whom Jesus is whom the treasures are, are, are hidden of wisdom and knowledge. He says, but I want to tell you how not to be deceived. He said, this is my answer. As you therefore received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. He says, if you don't want to be deceived, this is my answer to you. As you received Jesus, so walk in him. So the question remains, how did we receive Jesus? We received him by faith, did we not? It was purely by faith. We didn't do anything else, but we received Jesus through faith in him. And so Paul says, as you receive Jesus, so walk in him, so live. So if you receive Jesus by faith, now live every day of faith in him. Have faith in him because that is how you will not be deceived. That is Paul's answer of how not to be deceived, to live by faith. But how do we do that? And Paul gives us the answer to that as well. It gives us a good clue. And he uses this phrase four times in this passage. And it's in him. In him. He says, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. For in him dwells all the fullness of God and you are complete in him. You see, Paul says it's about a relationship. If you want faith, it's about a relationship. It's about knowing him. It's about communing with him. It's about connecting with him. It's about talking to him. It's about getting to know him. In him. Paul says, in him. Walk in him. Grow in your knowledge of him. Because in him is the fullness of God. And in him you are complete. Because he gives it to you. So know him. And it reminds me of an illustration. And I shared this just this week with some people. And it's Moses. He goes up a mountain. I mean, Moses goes up a mountain and he meets with God. He meets with Yahweh and he's up the mountain and he comes down and the people go, Moses, what did God say? And if you're like me, you go, I want to go back and I want to meet with Moses and I want to talk to Moses and say, Moses, what was it like when you met with God? What was it like when you went up the mountain and, and you knew him? And what does he sound like? And what did he say? And what that feel like? But do you know what? The reality is God calls you and me to go up that mountain to meet with him. 
And he wants us to meet with him. He doesn't want us to go and talk to Moses about what it's like to meet with God. He wants to meet with us personally. He wants us to sit there. He wants us to go up and be with him and to sit at his feet and to listen and to hear him and to understand him. He wants us to commune with him. But do you know what's even better? It's not about us having to physically go up a mountain like Moses did. Because our station, our status in life is that we are seated at the right hand of the Father in the seat of blessing in Jesus Christ. And you have any time, anywhere, wherever you are, the opportunity to sit and to talk to him and to know him and to get to know him and to know his heart and to hear from him the wisdom that comes from him. I came across this great commentary on Romans chapter 14, verse 23, which discusses the point that Paul was making when he said, anything that is not of faith is sin. And I think it's important because when I've discussed this concept before, when people talk about sin previously, they say, you know, and you say, well, anything that's not of faith is sin. They go, yeah, but it's not it's not like lying it's not like murder it's kind of a different let's let's lessen that and this commentary answers it and i would just want to read it if i can he says throughout paul, his work paul redefines some metaphysical terms faith is perhaps one of the best examples of this it is a key element of his teaching in the book of romans he introduces it early on refers back to it and then ex, uh, does an exhibit We'll leave that because I can't even pronounce that word and it's not important. So faith is a key term for Paul by which he is referring to, in very basic terms, the soul's right position before God. If one has faith, then one's soul is correctly positioned with God. If one has unbelief, one's soul is ill-positioned with God. To understand what his right position is, one needs to read the entire epistle paying close attention to Paul's use of the term faith, which we're not going to do for time. But the context of Romans 14 is where they're talking about, is it right to eat meat or is it not? And in this specific example, he continues on, Paul is applying this new revised concept of faith to a practical question of community. The question comes up where obedience of faith uh, is opposed to the law. How can the community react without turning this new faith into a new law? And as people, we always want another rule, don't we? What, what do we do in this context? And Paul is saying, well, actually, it's kind of about a relationship. It's not about a rule. It's about a relationship. So don't try and make new rules. He applies the question to the situation of meats. Freedom from the law means that there are now no dietary restrictions to condemn the believer. However, that doesn't leave one free to eat without consideration. If the soul is positioned correctly before God, i.e. one has faith, then the decision of whether or not to eat is based... Not, not based on a law, but rather one's conviction before God or your relationship with God. So for Paul, the decision to eat or not to eat is not as important as the status of one's soul before God. The believer is seen as a moral agent that is no longer a slave to a static set of rules and is now free to submit to God according to a new or newly revealed type of relationship defined by faith. You see, the commentator is saying it's about a relationship. Know what he wants for your life. To eat meat or not to eat meat. You know, it's kind of a nebulous topic, isn't it? But apply that to something in your life. The commentator and Paul is saying, God's got something to say to you about that. God's got something to say. And faith is choosing to follow God. 
Faith is choosing to believe God. Or as Romans 11.1 states, it is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. When God speaks to us, when you're sitting down with him, when you're chatting with him, and he says it, and you don't, haven't seen the outcome, but you know it's going to happen. Like Sarah, Abraham's wife. She met with God and he said, you're going to be pregnant. And she was old and there was physically no way that she could be pregnant. But she believed and she went, I'm going to, I'm going to have a baby. God said, it's ludicrous. I know it sounds ludicrous. I know it sounds crazy. But God said, he spoke to me. I have a relationship with him. And he said, I'm going to have a kid. So I'm going to have a kid. Therefore, it is, if it is not of faith, the cho- it is a choice to not follow God, to not believe God, but to choose to do it your way. Hebrews 11 is a great list of people who lived by faith, who had a relationship with God, who refused to go by what others say, but merely by what they knew God had directed them to do. And they are esteemed for nothing else other than their faith. And I want to talk about a couple of examples Look, let's look at Jericho and I put myself into the place of Joshua. Imagine this. Joshua goes and he meets with God and God speaks with him. And God says to him, do you know what? You're going to take that walled city. You're going to take Jericho. And Joshua goes, okay, so shall I gather all my army and, and we'll devise a plan? And God goes, no, 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 no. Listen, what we're going to do is you're just going to walk around the city. Oh, okay. So we're going to walk and we're going to look for weak points where we can invade. No, 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 Joshua, just walk. And when you walk, don't talk. Just be quiet. That's, that's day one. Okay. And Joshua would come. If it was me, I'd come back and go day two. So, so what are we doing day two? And God just goes, hey, Joshua, just walk around again and do that for six days. And on the seventh day, do it seven times. And then at the end, just yell. And you'd be going, wow. And God goes to Joshua. So go, go and tell your people. That's my strategy for war. Go and, tell my, go and tell your leaders. Can you imagine going back from that, walking to your leaders and going, guys, God said we're going to attack Jericho and it's ours. And they're going, great. What's the strategy? What's the plan? How are we going to have victory? And Joshua goes, well, um, yeah, funny you should ask that. Um, so we're just going to walk around day one. Just We're not going to chat. We're just going to walk around. And we're going to do it for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to do it seven times and then yell. Kind of. And then he says to his leaders, he says, now, now that I've told you our strategy for war, can you go and tell the people, go and tell everyone else, how much doubt would there be? But you know what? They did it. Because it was the wisdom from God. That was what God said, in this situation, this is how you're going to conquer it. And do you know what? All the people in the rest of the land were fearful because they took the untakeable city. And God said, this is how you're going to do it. That's wisdom. It seems like folly, doesn't it? You know, you wouldn't go up to someone else who's about to go into battle. You know, you wouldn't go up to President Trump and say, I know you want to take North Korea, so what you're going to do is just walk around for a little bit, just be quiet. Because that wisdom, that situation, was for that period of time, for Joshua, wasn't it? It's not for other, because it's about a relationship. My favourite one, I think, is Gideon. You know, imagine Gideon, this man who is a scared, he's a scared man, and he's no, no one of any notoriety. 
And he's sitting down and God meets with him. And he goes, Gideon, come with me. He said, let's look down over the plains because they were sitting up in the hill and there's a vast army that for years has been subjugating the whole nation of Israel. And a vast army there coming to attack. And he goes, Gideon, I'm going to use you and we're going to wipe them out. You know, and, and again, I put myself in that place and you go, that's, that's pretty exciting, God, but look how many there are. I'll, I'll, go, get, I'll go get our army. And so Gideon calls his army, the army of Israel, and there's 32,000 people and Gideon's there and he's looking at the 32,000 and he looks down and he goes, God, we're pretty outnumbered. We're vastly outnumbered. There's so many more of them. And God looks down and he goes, yeah, no, you're right. I think we've got too many. And you go, no, no, God, that's not what I was saying. They've got more than us. Look, we've only got 32,000. He goes, yeah, I know. No, we've got too many. Um, what we'll do is, why don't you go and, and ask them, and if anyone's scared or if anyone's fearful, send them home. And so Gideon goes and he says, okay, who's scared? Who's afraid? And 22,000 people go, yeah, I am. He goes, okay, go home. Go home to your loved ones. And Gideon goes back to God and he goes, God, we've only got 10,000 left. Look how many there are. Look, we are so outnumbered. What do we do? And God looks. And he looks back down and goes, yeah, no, I see the problem. We've still got too many. No, God, that's not what I'm talking about. And he goes, no, we've got to whittle it down some more. And and if I was there, I'd go, okay, so so I go and and I'll find the, the fiercest Warriors, the people who can use the sword the best, who know how to use the bow, who've been trained the strongest. And God goes, no, I don't reckon that's going to cut it. He goes, do you know what I reckon we need? Let's choose the people on how they drink water. What? This is crazy. And they go and drink water and there's 300 people left. And God goes, yep, I reckon we've got enough now. That's what we want. And God's wisdom seems foolishness, but out of a relationship, he goes, this is how we're going to do it now. This is what it's going to look like. And the 300 men with Gideon wiped out the army, completely routed them. Because God's wisdom is far superior to ours. And it comes about through a relationship. And he says to us, come up the mountain and meet with me. Because I have stuff I want to share with you about your life. I've got plans for you. I've divided. Seek my counsel. God's wisdom. You know, when you talk to him, you can't be deceived by other things, can you? You know, you can't be deceived into thinking you're smart because his ways, they're out there, I tell you. But they're God's ways. You know, Caleb has, I'm Caleb's basketball coach and Caleb's my oldest son and I have asked him if I can share this story so I'm not talking out of turn but Caleb we've been basketball season's about to start and we've been going out in front of our house and shooting practicing shooting and I've been looking at Caleb's shooting and he shoots wrong and he's got the wrong technique and so I said to Caleb Caleb what I want you to do is I want you just to practice shooting with the right technique and I talked about where his feet should be and how his knees are and where his elbow is and how he holds his hand and he goes dad it just feels wrong and I said I know I just want you to come out here and I want you to practice 50 shots every day because I want that to feel right. I want, and I want you to know when you're shooting wrong, it'll feel wrong. I want you to learn. And I think for many of us Christians, we've actually been told that 
that Christianity and following Jesus is about a bunch of rules. But it's about a relationship. And it feels hard sometimes because it feels wrong the first time. Like Caleb, when he shoots the basketball, it was a different technique. It feels awkward. But when you seek God and when you enter into that relationship and when you go up the mountain and you listen to Him and you hear from Him and you come back down and you just know with the surety that that's what's going to happen. You know, and the more you do it, the more right it seems. I share a story. I, I remember I graduated university and I was looking for work and I was applying for all these jobs and I was doing these interviews and I couldn't get a job. And I can remember where I was and God spoke to me and He said, I'm going to provide for you. Stop looking for work. And I went home the next, or the next day I woke up and every day my routine was to look for work. I went, okay, I've got to look for work. What am I going to do today? Nothing. I'm not going to do a thing because God said, stop looking for work. And he goes, this is foolishness, but do you know what? It's wisdom. This is what God wants me to do. And for that week, I did nothing. And my parents said, what are you doing to look for work? And I went, well, I've got a new strategy. I didn't actually phrase it like this, but I've got a new strategy. What's that? I'm going to do nothing because that's what God told me. God spoke to me and he said, stop looking for work. I'm going to provide for you. And by the end of that week, someone had approached me and he said, I've got a job for you. Come and work for me. And that's the one that God wanted for me. He has plans for our lives. It seems crazy, doesn't it? And if I go up to Josh and if Josh is looking for work and I go, Josh, I've got some wisdom. It worked for me. I know you want a new job. Just do nothing. That's now foolishness. Because that's me telling him what God and me, my relationship happened. And he's to go to God. And he's to listen to God and go, okay, what do you want in my relationship? And Paul says, when you do that, when you connect, when you live in him and you walk by faith, you won't be deceived. That's what it's about. Hebrews chapter 11 goes on and it talks about a bunch of people. But I want to share just very briefly about what, what they achieved through that relationship. Verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned the enemies to flee. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Through that relationship, listening to the wisdom of God, that's what achieved. And yet it goes on. There's more. He carries on and said, Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins and being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. You see, that's, they'd heard from God. And when the opportunity came and people said, look, that's crazy. If you don't turn away from that, you're going to suffer. They go, but, but God has spoken to me. The God who allowed Gideon to defeat the enemies and saw the walls of Jericho call, fall, that same God has spoken to me and, and I've got to trust him. I can't trust you. I've got to trust him. And, and whatever you do to me, you do to me. But I've got... 
I've got to connect with him. I've got to stay with him because, because that's wisdom. And I've got a relationship with him. And that's how we get our wisdom. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside everything. He's saying, therefore, we've got people of faith who've gone before us who's known God. And so, seeing as though that's happened, let us continue to connect with our Saviour. And then in verse 2, he says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, as you connect with him and as you walk by faith, I want you to know something. He has given you the faith and he will perfect the faith in you. He's finished it. It's about a relationship and he will give to you everything that you need. Oh my goodness. Let's go up that mountain and let's connect with our Savior and know him so that he can minister to us. If you want wisdom, know God. If you want knowledge, listen to God. If you want understanding, spend time with our Savior. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Solomon says, connect. Connect with our Father. God is wisdom, so walk by faith and you will not be deceived. Let us go up to that mountain. Will you go up to that mountain now with me? Close your eyes. Father, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you that you so desire to know us. Lord, you so desire to know us that you want us to commune with you. You want to speak to us. You want to impart your words of wisdom. And you want to do it in such a way that seems crazy to the world. So that when success comes about, when stuff happens, they go, what happened there? And we can say, well, out of a relationship with the God of the universe, out of a relationship with my Savior, he spoke to me and he led me and he gave me his wisdom. Father, I pray for the people who are here today that this week that they will go up the mountain and they will commune with you. And Lord, I thank you that you've promised that you will hear and you will speak and you will interact and you will impart your wisdom to us. So Lord, I pray this blessing upon these people in Jesus' name. Amen. Given time, how about I just say a blessing and we won't have a closing song because we've got afternoon, oh, we, not afternoon, although it might feel like afternoon tea, we've got lunch. So um, why don't we stand? The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord be with you as you come and as you go. The Lord be with you in the hard times and the good times. And may the Lord listen to you and may you hear him this week. Amen.